Hello and welcome to this latest edition of Cortez International Podcast. I'm delighted for this latest third edition. We've been joined by Joy Chow, who regular listeners and experts in the world of education will already know, is founder and Chair of Governors at Wellington Colleges China. Hello, Joy. Morning, Ed. Uh, very good morning to you, and it's good to be on the programme here. Great. Thank you for joining us. Joy, um, I, I could do an introduction. I've read all about you in preparation for this podcast, but I think it's better to hear it from you. So can you tell me a little bit about yourself and how you came to be running such an organisation, please? Sure, thank you. Uh, I was actually trained as a computer scientist. I got a BA from uh, Oxford University in computer science, and I worked in the IT industry for over a decade. Uh, it was only after I moved back to China and become uh, became a mother uh, did I have my eyes on the uh, uh, education sector. Uh, it was triggered by me looking for uh, schools, really, for, for my two very young boys uh, in Beijing. And I looked at the likes of uh, um, Dulwich and Harrow in those days. They, they operated in Beijing. And that gave me the idea because I'm married to a British and we met at Oxford. So naturally... Uh, our family is a China, a Britain sort of mixed family. So to me, uh, having an education uh, ed education that combines the best of the East and the West, uh, having my children growing up bilingually, it's uh, it's not a nice to have. It's actually a necessity. So that uh, um, uh, got me thinking about the type of ideal education that I wanted my children to have. And I thought, why not do it myself? You know, in those <laughs> in those days, <laughs> I was young and naive, thinking that I could uh, I could actually uh, uh, take this challenge on uh, myself. And uh, and it was also, I suppose, in the context of uh, the rapid economic growth in China, opportunities yeah. are abundant. Not just in education; it's actually in all different sectors. So, me having worked uh, with a large multinational corporation for for over 10 years, I, I had the desire of becoming an entrepreneur myself. So I pro probably was going to start a business in something. Oh, okay. It just so happened, yeah, it coincided with my desire for uh, the very best education for my own children. So I suppose mm, from my own needs, uh, I actually created a successful organi organization uh, as a result of that. So how, how, come, um, how come it was Wellington? Because these days, if you say um, which of the big British public schools have got very large presence overseas, Wellington would be the first name on most people's lips. But you were there at the start, right? So why Wellington? Yeah, that was. Uh, it's good to uh, good to hear you say that because that's the impression we are getting uh, out of the successful uh, schools or or the perception uh, by the public of the schools are successfully op operating overseas. Actually, Wellington probably ranks ahead of uh, the couple of other names uh, that I just mentioned uh, because of the success of the, op of, of the operation that uh, we have in China. Um, Anthony Seldon, Sir Anthony Seldon played a big part in why I selected Wellington uh, as our partner. So uh, in the days when I was looking for British partnership school, Wellington wasn't the only school we talked to. But it became pretty obvious quite early on that Wellington is a suitable school because of the vision and drive uh, by Sir Anthony Seldon, um, because he was 
before I approached him, he was already looking for quite a number of years of how to go overseas uh, to places mm. like China. So it actually became quite a quite a quite a match in 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 our vision and needs as soon as we got to know each other. Um, for a organization like Wellington College or any other reputable schools in the UK, um, for the Board of Governors to make a decision to commit to an overseas project yeah. with somebody who's ne yeah. they've never worked with, especially in those days when this was still a pretty rare phenomenon, isn't it? It, it was not an easy uh, it was not an easy uh, task. So because Board of Governors naturally are uh, nervous about taking on risks. So I yeah. think it was because of Sir Anthony Seldon's vision and drive and the trust and support that he has from the Board of Governors and the alignment of our vision of wanting to operate the very best schools overseas uh, um, and the reason why we want to do it. Uh, all of those matched well. So that that's why Wellington became uh, a partner of choice for me at the time. And how many how many Wellington colleges are there in China now? So we operate in three cities and uh, um, and we operate five schools. Uh, there are three Wellington colleges and they cater for um, expats living and working in China. Uh, and they teach uh, a, a British um, a British style interact international curriculum. And those schools are only accessible by foreign passport holders. Okay. But we also operate two school, two more schools, which we call Huili schools. They're also part of the Wellington China group, but they're under a different name and under a different uh, um, governance structure. And they uh, they are Chinese schools. Uh, um, accessible by local Chinese uh, uh, pupils. Uh, they have to stick to a um, uh, Ministry of uh, Education mandated uh, Chinese curriculum, uh, or at least the core part of the curriculum. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are certain, there, there are many, many more regulations and restrictions uh, that a school uh, has to uh, uh, comply with for operating this type of school. But I'm mm -hmm. um, um, passionate about our Huili schools because uh, first and foremost, they're accessible by uh, Chinese pupils. Therefore, they are they are where uh, the majority of the demand is. But also, secondly, it is an opportunity to create something that is potentially world pioneering because it's a truly immersive bilingual experience where we are seeking to take the higher uh, standard of uh, the two sides. So we actually compared uh, the British, uh, the the English national curriculum with the Chinese uh, uh, compulsory education curriculum, where there is a difference, we actually take the higher standard of the two. So, for example, Chinese, of course, is uh, the, the Chinese standard, but the English, we didn't take the Chinese standard because Chinese standard is a second language learner, isn't it? Yeah. We take the native English standard. So, if the children grow up in our nursery or in our primary school, they actually will become dual native language speakers and wow. uh, maths for example um the the chinese math standard or or the 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 uh, the, the progress is faster in the chinese system so we take the chinese standard but the application of maths and cross subject working uh, of the maths uh, knowledge we also reference uh, some of uh, those in the, in the in the british system and the science I heard is more advanced in the British systems. We actually take the British standards. So by doing that, uh, by the age of 15, 
we can meet the government requirement of all our students being able to pass a standardized test. I suppose maybe similar to a GCSE, we call that yeah, Huikao. Yeah. We yeah. need to pass that at the age of 15. All of those tests are in Chinese and they, uh, they are uh, based on the Chinese curriculum. But on top of that, they're prepared for GCSE and potentially IB or A-level when they progress to the senior school. Uh, they will all achieve excellent scores in GCSE and those international qualification, which leads them to onto a pathway to overseas universities. So to be able to achieve that, it's actually, I call it Wellington Plus. So we're actually adding right. something to what we deliver in Wellington School. The Hui Li School actually not only deliver what Wellington does, which is leading to the GCSE and, uh, GCSE and IB, yeah. they actually qualify these students for a Chinese qualification, which then is a truly bilingual uh, uh, and bicultural or multicultural uh, immersion uh, program. That's, uh, that's what we have created uh, uh, in, in China in the past four or five years. It sounds like quite something. Um, what... A, a cynic, obviously Britain is a famously cynical country, so uh, the, cynic, the cynics uh, in Britain will say that these are Wellington College schools, really. All that's happened is that the brand has been taken um, to you, a businesswoman, by you, a businesswoman, and you're rolling out a, a business in China that has very little in truth to do with the spirit of, of Wellington College. Um, how would you refute that suggestion? Mm -hmm. I would encourage all the cynics uh, who are serious about finding out more about how we actually operate to actually come to the Wellington College uh, yeah. in China and see for themselves. Um, I think there are any number of people who are on uh, the Wellington staff or even on the Wellington Board of Governors who would take that view. Uh, so we actually have a program of uh, every year regularly sending uh, governors as well as uh, staff from Wellington College to come out to China and visit our schools. And every single one of them, once they've seen our school and seen uh, the pupils and see uh, our teachers in operation, see the environment, they go back being uh, an advocate of what we are doing uh, in, in China. Mm -hmm. Of course, we're not a carbon copy. I wouldn't pretend that I've lifted uh, Wellington in Crowthorne and just planted in China. <laughs> For any schools uh, to be successful, um, one has to be culturally sensitive and catering for uh, the, the the audience, for the pupils that we serve. We're not serving a primarily British audience. Our international school uh, in Shanghai have uh, uh, pupils from uh, 50 plus uh, different countries. We are an international school with a British flavor. Our Huili school is even more different. However, there is a core that threads all the, uh, the, the Wellington colleges, which is uh, the values, the Wellington values, uh, uh, that uh, has been uh, defined by the Wellington community, uh, integrity, respect, and, uh, and we also have, uh, there are five values, and we also have the identities uh, that we have defined, uh, which are also across all the, uh, all the colleges, um, intellectual, independent, and et cetera. So all of these things, are the essence and also the uh, the all-round education. So Wellington, even in England, is known for its holistic approach. 
to build yeah. the whole person and uh, the character building, which is a feature actually of uh, reputable British schools. And this is part of the reason why British education is uh, valued and welcome uh, elsewhere, especially in China, where traditionally there has been a lot of exam orientation or rote learning, where the outcome is measured by a very narrow set of uh, uh, paper exams. So, so all of those are the essence of Wellington College and uh, what we, I, I believe we have very successfully uh, um, um, sort of transplanted uh, to, to China. And also from a governance and management and oversight point of view, um, I think probably people don't realize exactly how, how tight we are uh, related to each other. It's not just a name at all. It's not about sticking a name uh, on a school. Yeah. Actually, Wellington is involved right from uh, the standard setting in, in terms of having a, a manual that defines all aspects of the education, academic and non-academic, uh, to uh, having uh, board representations on yeah. all of our schools. So each of our schools have a certain number of seats uh, that, I, uh, that are Wellington-appointed uh, governors to their rigorous quality assurance process. Uh, for example, the annual review. All of the school goes through an annual review process mm -hmm. uh, by uh, Wellington appointed uh, reviewers to make sure that we actually adhere to our uh, to our vision and the quality is worthy of a Wellington name. So I don't know how uh, other school groups operate, uh, but I believe Wellington's relationship um, between uh, between the 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 home school to its overseas venture is probably among the tightest. That's great, thank you. Um, so you've explained the kind of educational vision um, and the way the schools fit together. In terms of, and very briefly, because this is a podcast for educationists, not business people, sure. but uh, yeah. very briefly, can you just explain your business model? Yeah, so in terms of the business model, we are financially and legally independent. So it is a, a legally a franchise relationship. Uh, and uh, so we are funded uh, by the, uh, we are funded primarily with the tuition fee income. Sure. However, our school development is part of a greater district regeneration. So the school, uh, uh, the school's uh, asset, so the land and the building uh, is invested by a, a developer who actually want the school as a um, to be part of a overall community with residential buildings, offices, hotels, shopping malls, uh, hospitals, okay. and etc. Yeah, so having all this, uh, the the whole district development means the school in itself is not a uh, is not um, a. a profit generator is actually positioned as a service provider to the community. So the developer doesn't actually seek uh, um, significant return from their investment. Uh, we give a rent. Yeah. So a franchise model with Wellington, but with significant management oversight and a long term lease uh, uh, relationship with our developer. So the school in itself is uh, is uh, legally and, uh, um, and financially independent. Right. Okay, that makes sense. Um, and what follows naturally from that, and you and I have talked about this before on email, um, it's not as simple as some people in England would like it to be setting up schools in China, is it? 
harder uh, than most people think. And even when you have already uh, thought about most things, uh, uh, times it by 10, I think, is, <laughs> is how hard it is. I think the difficulty, the challenges are different uh, at different stages. Um, obviously, with a startup, or especially for a school which has never operated overseas, um, never underestimate the the, the difficulties uh, that you will encounter in setting up a new campus overseas. And most of that is not even educational. The logistics, the finance, the uh, the hiring, the, the construction, the quality assurance uh, uh, of the construction yeah. process, all of those are not educational matters. So for a mature, established school, uh, you wouldn't have the talent or the team to be able to handle uh, that kind of challenge. So the, the startup challenge, uh, I think, realizing uh, the, the scale of the task and investing in people and structure and process and having a good local partner, I think, is essential for a British school to take it overseas. Um, uh, the, the British school itself need to have dedicated staff overseeing the process to make sure the quality, the relationship, the trust, information flow. But on the other hand, none of that can uh, can happen without having a solid local partner in the country who can navigate all, all the legal, regulatory, uh, financial requirement uh, to to actually uh, have it um, uh, uh, have it through, see it through the startup yeah, stage. Sure. So yeah, so the startup stage is 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 a is a is a significant challenge. But even once you get into the mature operation stage, uh, there are day to day challenges. For example, uh, the regulatory environment is. Um, yeah. Is always changing. You probably have heard heard of it already. So, and because schools are long term, requires long term planning, isn't it? Even if you want to commit to a new project now, by the time you find the land, you build the building, you hire the people, you open the school, it's easily three to five years away. But nobody can foresee what the regulation would be like in uh, in five years time, or nobody can see that in three years time, let alone five years time. So that's always a change, changing landscape to have the uh, to have the resilience and the expertise of navigating in the regulatory environment. And then, of course, for new um, British schools wishing to come to a, uh, a market like China, the, the harder the harder challenge is on the curriculum model. So I think the market for expat only schools are pretty saturated already. So our yeah. Wellington colleges that we operate in China, um, the demand for that is uh, at best uh, just stable. In many cities actually is declining uh, due to the localization of many of the senior executive uh, packages. So they are replacing with bilingual returning Chinese in, in, in those very senior roles. Therefore the demand for expat children for those schools are actually declining in many cities. So for any new schools coming to China, I think they will find uh, very quickly, uh, there's probably no, no point setting up an expat only uh, international school. The, the type of school to go for is a private school catered for Chinese children, but with an international offering. 
but in order to do that, you have to comply with, as I mentioned, the, the local Chinese curriculum. And uh, the British school wouldn't, uh, wouldn't have that expertise. It's actually quite a significant research and development process to work out a curriculum model which uh, meets the legal requirement in China, but also delivers the very best international education. As I mentioned, our Huili bilingual model is exactly that. But it took us four years from 2014 to 2018 when we opened the uh, first Huili school to develop that model. So I think the entry barrier for British school coming to China has been uh, lifted higher due to the tighter regulatory environment as well as the demand on the curriculum being very different to operating an expat-only international school. So the challenge is the challenge, uh, I would say, is much bigger than uh, what most people realize. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's true. And you're not the first person to say to me that the, that the market is quite close to saturated. Um, related to um, the conversation about bilingual schools, but true also of the wider international scene, it are issues with recruiting and retaining teachers. Um, in those bilingual schools that you, you talk about, um, that must be very hard to recruit teachers into, no? It is, not just bilingual school, any any school internationally and not just in China. I think globally there is a shortage uh, uh, for teachers in English medium schools. So thanks to the Wellington reputation, uh, because uh, we are building up a global reputation uh, in, in the international sector, thanks to that reputation, it's actually relatively uh, uh, easy for us to attract uh, quality um, international staff. So uh, most of the teachers we get are from Britain. And uh, because of the Wellington reputation, we are able to attract the very best of them. Uh, what's even harder uh, are the bilingual Chinese staff who operate uh, mm -hmm. in our schools because uh, they're required to teach in Chinese most of the time, but we, we uh, request that they are fluent in English as well so that they can work together with their, uh, with their British uh, colleagues. Uh, and those are talents that's even harder to find because uh, international school, yeah, as a sector is relatively new in China. So there's a shortage of such talents. So our solution to that is actually uh, um, develop our own. So every year now we have a program, we have a PGC program uh, partnered with Durham University. We actually take 30 to 40 brilliant graduates uh, um, from China, or once they've already got a degree from uh, a British university, we actually train them from the start. They start in a TA role. In a year or two's time, they become uh, they become a, uh, a new teacher. And then in another couple of years time, they probably become a fully functioning, uh, high-performing teacher. So uh, so the, there is a significant challenge in terms of recruitment of quality staff. So the, our, our, our solutions develop, developing our own, grow our own people. But the well, most important all, of all is uh, controlling our expansion speed. So there's no shortage of opportunity, market opportunities for us to open new schools in China. But we actually consciously control the speed of expansion yeah. uh, because that's limited by how fast we can grow our talent rather than how much demand there is out there on market. So that, that's the most important solution, control <laughs> the speed of growth. <laughs> yes, it's in some ways frustrating for businesswomen. Um, uh, related to um, recruitment, obviously, is retention. And if, and if you're training these teachers at probably quite large expense to your business, 
-hmm. it must be very important to hold on to them and especially if there's demand there for their skills absolutely absolutely yeah so what do you put in place for retention yeah we have a pretty robust uh, hr system in terms of attraction development retention and uh, uh rewards uh and uh Retention, in terms of retention, you look at what motivates people. Of course, you need to pay people well. We always uh, position our our own uh, compensation uh, package among the top 25% uh, in the market. But most people are actually motivated by the educational vision as well as their career development prospects. So whether we are truly an organization that puts uh, uh, education first, that put the future of our pupils first, um, uh, um, and staying true to our to our vision identity, I think we have uh, built a reputation internationally of being truly uh, an education-driven organization, not a not a uh, commercially driven organization. I think that's very important. The second, uh, the second area I talked about, the career development aspect. Um, this is why, as an organization, we do want a healthy speed of growth. Because if it's a mature organization with uh, no growth, then there is not a lot of room for people to move up. Yeah, by, by keeping uh, a healthy pace of growth, it means that when people are ready, or even slightly before they are ready, chances are, within our organization, there is that more next level, more senior role available for them. Uh, Uh, both on the academic track and the non-academic track. In fact, we actually have a pretty robust system of identifying successors. So succession planning, as well as high potential employee uh, development uh, plan. We actually have a formal uh, structured plan to identify people who have the ambition, the ability, uh, uh, and the potential to go to that next level. And we have a robust planning place of exposing them to additional training or maybe job rotation or coaching or mentoring to get them ready faster for that next level in their career development. And, And these are no different in education compared to in any other competitive sector. So long as you invest properly in our people and staying true and genuine to our vision, I think those are uh, between uh, these two, we have uh, the most important factors of uh, talent retention covered. Fabulous, thank you. Um, one final question for you, Joy. Where, where will um, Wellington College's China be in, say, five years' time or even 10? What's, mm-hmm. How many schools do you hope to have in the group? Yeah, actually, we don't have a solid plan in terms of how many schools. In fact, that's I don't think even think that's the more important question. Um, I don't mind very much about how many schools we open and the speed of growth is determined by the speed of which we can nurture our talent. Uh, what I do care is every school that we operate, I hope it is the best school uh, in its city or in its uh, region district. Um, but one more one ambition that we do have as Wellington China is offering that bilingual English Chinese immersive curriculum yeah. outside of China. So, so if you say the the one thing that I'm aiming for for the next five or ten years is not actually how many schools I operate in China. It is actually taking that bilingual education model out of China, maybe to US, Canada, Australia, or even uh, Britain, uh, where there are 
first of all, significant overseas Chinese population who might want to maintain, retain uh, their Chinese roots. Uh, so that bilingual offering is extremely attractive to them. But also more and more people, even when they have nothing to do uh, with China, they, they're not from a Chinese uh, uh, background, they also see the mastering of Mandarin as a language, also an understanding of the uh, Chinese culture or the Eastern culture as yeah. a huge advantage. I think that actually has the key to some of the global problem in the future, the East meets West. In this century, right. East is meeting West. So my vision is to all over the world, uh, uh, nurture people who will grow up mastering both languages, understanding both cultures so that they can be bridges bridging the very different uh, uh, perceptions or values or understanding and try to find more similarities rather than differences. That is my vision for Wellington, China in the next 10 years. Joy, I can't imagine a better way to finish a radio programme. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you so Thank much you. for your time.